Hello and welcome to episode 117 of the Marvel Studios News Podcast. My name is Sean Gerber. I am joined, as always, by Paul Herman. How you doing, Paul? I am I'm well, but feeling old and tired today. Yeah, feeling old and tired is kind of my resting state at this point. Yeah. I shouldn't, I'm not really, I haven't reached an age where I'm entitled to feel old all the time, so a lot of people would rightfully roll their eyes at me by saying that I feel yes. old. But uh, nevertheless, I do. And so I just have to own that and then figure out where to go from here. But anyway, exactly. we, we are continuing our In the Endgame series as we lead up to Avengers Endgame, which is getting closer and closer. So in our last episode, episode 116, we talked about Thor. This is going to be another episode where we have to double up. And the characters that we are going to highlight this week are two Steve Ditko co-creations who met on the big screen for the very first time in Avengers Infinity War last year, Spider-Man and Doctor Strange. We'll go ahead and we'll start with Spider-Man, because Doctor Strange is Paul's favorite, and that's probably going to soak up a lot of time. <laughs> so let's go ahead and talk about Spider-Man, which, Paul, you're less a fan of. Uh, and let's yeah. <laughs> We'll track his uh, arc. These characters are similar situations. They're relatively recent additions to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. They both debuted in Phase 3 of the MCU. Spider-Man actually debuted first because he showed up in Civil War in May of 2016, and then Doctor Strange debuted in his own movie in November of 2016. And then they've both had... Uh, well, Spider-Man actually did have another his own solo film, and then, of course, they were both in Avengers Infinity War. So starting with Spider-Man and tracking his arc through the Marvel Cinematic Universe, I think most of that really is Captain America Civil War and then Spider-Man Homecoming, because in Captain America Civil War, Peter Parker went from just being that friendly neighbor, uh, friendly neighborhood Spider-Man going around and stopping cars in his pajamas to all of a sudden fighting in an airport alongside Iron Man against Captain America. So he got an immediate, almost immediate taste of the big leagues and he wanted to stay there. He wanted to stay in the show in Spider-Man Homecoming, and so his whole arc in that film was, amongst other things, was really learning to be a little bit more comfortable with being the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man and, and understanding who he is and that he's no less of a hero by saving the neighborhood as opposed to uh, having to go out and try and be an Avenger alongside Tony Stark. And then it just so happened that he wound up being an Avenger alongside Tony Stark in Avengers Infinity War. Uh, the circumstances kind of dictated that. It wasn't something, it wasn't like they were betraying everything that he learned, everything that he went through in Avenger or in uh, Spider-Man Homecoming. It was just the circumstances, they were what they were. And Spider-Man ended up uh, on that ship and on his way to uh, Titan, only to turn into dust once Thanos snapped his fingers. So, Paul, I know that you've been pretty happy with what we've had for MCU Spider-Man. We know what his yeah. future is after Endgame. We know he's going to go right into Spider-Man Far From Home. We'll talk about the future in a bit, uh, but for the recent past and present, how are you feeling and, and what have you been enjoying about Spider-Man? Well, people know that I'm a big fan of the MCU Spider-Man, and people who listen to the show also know that I'm a huge Spider-Man fan altogether. But mainly um, Doctor again, Strange. My... <clears throat> Yeah, excuse me, Doctor Strange as well, um, especially the MCU version uh, from his first film. Uh, people who are new, again, this could be someone's first podcast. Spider-Man is my absolute favorite character ever. Um, he is my gateway to the Marvel Universe when I was a wee little lad all those years ago. And probably in 19, I probably 
again, my first, my earliest memories is playing with a Secret Wars Doctor Octopus action figure, um, you know, from Secret, you know, those Secret Wars days. So it was, uh, yeah. So Spider Man is himself getting to this point has been a a great a great thing for me. Um, obviously. There's there is some controversy with Spider-Man being in the MCU and how they've handled things. There's a there's a lot of criticism that I do not adhere to, but with regarding to uh, Tony Stark being involved with Spider-Man and, and being this mentor figure, a lot of people have a lot of issues with that. I don't. I never had any issues with it, and I've gone on and on about it on other shows. But to kind of sum, sum up a brief kind of uh, presentation of that of my idea or my opinion. Uh, I just think that Tony, th- this is a different Spider-Man, you know, it, you got to think of it like a different, like, you know, every comic book universe, like the DC and the Marvel stuff, they all have multiple dimensions, right? We all know that. Well, this is a earth of MCU where Iron Man is, you know, heavily influenced Spider-Man in this, uh, in this universe and where he grew up idolizing these people. And, you know, that's just, again, given what, what the MCU, what they had to work with, it works for me. Because to me, if this was Spider-Man being brought up, he would idolize Captain America or and Iron Man and be look up to them. And instead of being like almost their peers, because they came out around the same time, because obviously Iron, Spider-Man came out before Iron Man did in the comic books, obviously. So mm. um, it doesn't really make sense that they'd be peers. It, it, I, you know, to me, I, I like the idea of, of Peter looking up to Tony. I've always, I've always kind of liked that even in the civil war, uh, comic books where, um, when Spider-Man, Spider-Man finally becomes an official Avenger, Spider-Man is in Tony. I kind of, you know, you know, hang out and become like the father. He becomes that new father mentor figure that Spider-Man hasn't had in a long time. And he creates that, this iron spider suit in which I love, I love that whole, I thought that was set up so perfectly in, in the comic books. That was great. And, uh, yeah, so I, to me, it never really felt like it was just this abomination to the character. I know a lot of people, a lot of hardcore Spider-Man fans feel that way, that this is, this is not my character. And, and that's fine. But for the most part, I think Homecoming, I think Homecoming was, was good. Again, in the context of the MCU, again, if this was like that if this was like the only Spider-Man movie we ever got and this was the first thing out of the gate, I'd be a little bit more... Uh, maybe a little more critical, but because I've already gotten those movies, what five times already, like a different, a Spider-Man by himself without any other heroes. And I've gotten the origin story twice. I mean, I, we've, we've already know, I already know what Spider-Man's you know, story is. I already know what his background and everything is. It's, so what Kevin Feige has done is give us, gave us a fresh take, but also gave us an idea that, you know, he's not this world traveler or excuse me, world traveler or universe traveler, if you will, when he's in homecoming. He's the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. And that's the emphasis of the film, you know, of being like kind of in this. He is. He does live in a gray area, like Tony Stark even says. So I like that aspect. I, or not like, I love that aspect. And I love that idea that Spider-Man's, you know, this is a different kind of a realm, if you will, that he's in that we haven't really seen him in a lot of in a lot of their comic books, including even the original Ultimate Universe, which is a heavily influence on this this comic book series. The little, little I've read and know it's still even different from that, from what I gather. So I don't know. I, I love what we've gotten from Spider-Man MCU. 
people you know know that I I haven't not not liked anything from the MCU as far as Spider-Man goes. So it remains to be seen that they have been flawless with him for me. And I think for the most part they've been pretty like 90% on almost flawless. So I love the I love what they've done with this character and the I love what they've done with the uh with their supporting cast for the most part. Again, this is a fresh take. This, this is not this is not, yes, not traditional Spider-Man stuff, but at the same time, we've gotten traditional Spider-Man stuff. Yep. And we've been I'm, there, we've I'm been not, there, yeah. done that. Yeah, we've been there, done that. We don't need to have the same stuff over and over and over again. And I know that even in those takes, there are things that weren't exactly traditional Spider-Man and whatever else, but I, I, I love the MCU take on it because I think at its core, it's still capturing who Peter Parker is. He's still a really smart kid, a brilliant kid. He's still an inventor. He invented his web shooters. He made his own suit. It's a good suit. Tony Stark just has better resources and made a better one, which is really what would happen for Spider-Man. Not saying that everything in these movies needs to be super realistic, but I've always liked, uh, or that's been one of my issues in Spider-Man movies, is that he's very clearly, that Peter Parker is so poor, and yet he has a suit that looks very expensive. So I kind of like that he had a suit that was, uh, let's just call it a budget costume that Peter Parker made for himself, and then Tony Stark helps out. And then also that mentorship. I mean, that's that's still part of who Spider-Man is. He has mentors. And, I, and of course, with the MCU, in the context of the MCU, it just works. It works for Tony Stark to have been there. And if you were a kid, like Peter Parker was, when Iron Man first burst onto the scene, you would worship that guy. You would love that guy. You might also love Captain America, too. But for Peter Parker, it's easy to see why he would be really taken to Tony Stark because not only is Tony Stark a superhero, but he's a science and tech nerd, which is what Peter Parker is. So Peter Parker can see a lot of himself in Iron Man. So when he gets an opportunity to hang out with the guy and learn with and learn from the guy, uh, that would obviously mean something to Peter Parker within the context of this universe. And I really like the way that that relationship has it's helped with Tony Stark's character arc, and we've talked about we talked about that back in our Tony Stark episode and our Iron Man episode on this in the Endgame series. But even for Peter Parker, as I mentioned, I mean that whole speech that Tony gives him after the ferry boat sequence in Homecoming, where he's saying, "I want to be Peter," saying, "I want to be like you," and Tony saying, "I wanted you to be, uh, I wanted you to be better." And that might sound a little strange to Peter in that moment because what's wrong with Tony Stark? Well, Peter hasn't been alongside Tony Stark to see all the mistakes he's made and how that's impacted Tony and how Tony feels about it. Um, but I, I like that Tony wants Peter Parker to be better. And, and for Peter, it's really just more of learning that it's not about the glory. It's not about being an Avenger and, and having that status. Uh, it's all about just doing the right thing, doing good for people who need help. And being that friendly neighborhood Spider-Man and the fact that he is offered the chance with that iron spider suit at the end of Spider-Man Homecoming, offered the chance to be an Avenger, and he says no. And, of course, they joke about it being just a test, but then again, there was a press conference right there on the other side of the door that uh, Tony would have followed through if Peter accepted the offer, and he didn't. And then you fast forward to Avengers Infinity War and all Peter's doing, he's out on a school bus on a field trip, and then all of a sudden he sees that there's trouble, and he's going to help in New York. And then all of a sudden, next thing he knows, he's on a spaceship, and he's got this fancy new suit that he said no to from uh, from Tony Stark. But I love this whole process and how, just as a matter of circumstances, uh, Peter ends up becoming an Avenger. But he still deserves it. Just He deserves it all the same. I mean, it's his idea for how they beat Ebony Maw. 
in uh, when Doctor Strange is being held hostage, so or when Doctor Strange is about to be tortured in Avengers: Infinity War, uh, Spider Man is the one who, thanks to his, you know, thanks to his well known knowledge of of pop culture, he's the one who gets to comes up with the idea for how they beat Ebony Maw, uh, and that gets him knighted as a, as an Avenger. But that bond between Tony Stark and Peter Parker, that's part of why the ending of Avengers Infinity War is so powerful. I know that for me, with my experience watching the film, that when I first saw Bucky turn to dust, you know, I, I felt that for sure. Black Panther, I felt it. And, you know, as I started seeing more and more Marvel heroes disappear, but that moment between Peter Parker and Tony Stark, when Peter said, you know, Mr. Stark, I don't feel so good. And the last thing that Peter says to Tony before he dies is he says, I'm sorry. He apologizes. And you just know how much these two characters meant to one another. Because, yes, there's the mentor-mentee relationship, but there's definitely a father-son dynamic there a bit. Not that they literally are father and son, but there's some of that in that in their relationship uh, and how much that relationship means to both of, to uh, to those two guys. And it's just, it's absolutely heartbreaking. It doesn't even matter to me. I can tell, I can know in my head that this is a comic book movie. This is based on comic books. And so uh, these characters, they're going to come back. Spider-Man is going to be in another movie almost immediately after Avengers Endgame. And the producers have already said the movie takes place after Avengers Endgame. So, or at least they said that a while ago that it was going to take place after Avengers 4, which we now know to be Avengers Endgame. So I can know all of those things in my head. But it didn't matter because emotionally I was just feeling that moment. I was feeling Peter Parker's fear, him just being a kid. And the same, similar to how I felt when he was trapped under the rubble in Spider-Man Homecoming. That's just a kid who's in trouble and scared. Uh, and then with Peter Parker there, once again, it's a kid who's in trouble. He's scared. He doesn't want to die. And he's just he's absolutely terrified by it. But he also is then feeling sorry because he feels like he let down his mentor, Tony Stark. And then, you know, with Tony Stark, he was freaked out by the idea of Peter going because you know that Tony feels responsible for Peter. That's why Tony freaks out when Peter says it's basically your fault that I'm still here on this ship because you designed this Iron Spider suit to be so intuitive. And so the responsibility that they both feel toward one another, the bond that they have and that experience, that moment, it's real to those characters, thanks to the performances by Tom Holland and Robert Downey Jr., that all my comic book nerd knowledge goes away and I'm just in the moment and feeling that loss that the characters are feeling, feeling the fear that Peter Parker is feeling. And that's one thing we haven't really touched on is just how phenomenal Tom Holland has been in this role from Civil War to Homecoming to Avengers Infinity War. Uh, but a, a huge part of, I think, what makes the the ending of Infinity War so powerful, it's that moment between Spider-Man and Tony Stark. And I just, I, I absolutely love it. And it wouldn't work the way that it did if people weren't really loving this version of Spider-Man. Sure, there's going to be uh, people out there who don't like it for whatever reason, but for the most part, we've seen people really take to this version of Spider-Man, and that wasn't automatic. You and I, Paul, have been recording this show for long enough. We remember when mm -hmm. the Spider-Man deal was announced, and we remember when people were saying, why are they rebooting Spider-Man again? Even though we, it was like in the MCU, but that was out there. That sentiment was out there, and as soon as Civil War happened that sentiment just immediately went away. And that's Tom Holland. I mean, I think, you know, Robert Downey Jr. did a great job in that scene uh, in the apartment in Queens, obviously, and I think that helped. But it's Tom Holland's strengths as an actor that have allowed people to connect with this character so much. And it's been, it, it's huge. And it's part of what made Infinity War 
as great as it was. And because people talk about that ending, people are going to be talking about the ending of Infinity War long after Avengers Endgame comes out. Uh, regardless of how great it is, people are not going to forget how they felt uh, during that ending of Infinity War. And so much of that comes from Spider-Man. Yeah, and I think Spider-Man has been kind of, I think he's been kind of the secret weapon a little bit for this, the upcoming, I think, phase. I think kind of, um, and what I mean by that, because we don't know what's going to happen after uh, Far From Home. We really don't. Nope. And we know we know Sony could go multiple different routes. And there's there's potential for Spider-Man to stick around the MCU. But Sony is kind of, you know, they haven't really, really revealed what they're going to do yet. And, and maybe they have maybe maybe Kevin Feige and, and Disney and, and Sony have, has figured it out. But they're just not announcing it yet because for reasons. But yeah, totally possible. That, oh, totally possible. So but what I think he represents is the youth, the youth the youth movement that's coming into the MCU. And I think that's what I think I'm interested in, in mm-hmm. seeing with, with Spider-Man is that he gives a different dynamic than all the other heroes. He represents that youth. And that again is interesting because Spider-Man's always been the younger hero of all these, all these issues of all these heroes, right? It's always been the thing. He's always been kind of like the little brother of all of them. And which is interesting with a, a juxtaposition of a, uh, uh, excuse me, juxtaposition of um, the Into the Spider-Verse film where you have Peter Parker being the mentor, actually, which is very, you know, unique and rare in, in comic books. He's not always, he's not usually that character, really. Um, all that being said, you know, this, he does represent this kind of younger movement that I think the MCU could be going into uh, with phase, whatever next phase. I'm not sure if they're going to have a phase, but with whatever next line yeah. of films, whatever you, they call you could it, have, <laughs> yeah, whatever they call it, it's going to have Captain Marvel, Black Panther, Doctor Strange. But I think you're going to have some younger, char- excuse me, younger characters like Spider Man, maybe a Kamala Khan's Miss Marvel, mm-hmm. maybe Nova. I mean, there's, there's, I, there, you never know what's. Yeah, exactly. So there's a he definitely represents a youth movement, which I think is important that I think has been lacking somewhat in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And I think and again, lacking, not necessarily a bad thing, but it definitely should. I think if anything, if anything, the Spider-Man, uh, Spider-Man uh, Homecoming repre- or showed the Marvel uh brass if you will like kevin feige that the youth movement is still a big thing and i think that that's something that they need to tap into more than than what they have been and that i think because because think about this it, it's, it, granted it's spider-man it made a lot of money because it is spider-man right what's what's not try to pretend that it's not but i do think the fact that they went with a more a younger kind of ideal spider-man instead of being like he's kind of young but not really young it's you know what I mean? Like Andrew Garfield didn't look like he was in high school. It looks like he's a young adult, you know, just like Tobey Maguire. Yeah, no, they're, like they're the Beverly school. Hills 90210 version of high school. Right. And so with that, so with all that being said, you have Tom Holland, who actually looks very young for his age. I mean, he mm-hmm. looks like he's 18, 19 years old. And when he's really like, what, 2021? 20, so he looks the part of a young kid. And and again, you set the it's not like he was graduating in 20 minutes. No, he was in high school the whole time. And so with all of that, I think kids and, and everyone kind of can I think just have a better connection and, and and can relate to him. And they did a great job of making him entertaining and relatable. So yeah, I think he represents that youth movement that we're gonna get in these later films. Because I think it's gonna be important to keep a, a couple of characters young. And he, and that, having that has been great 
and if you look in Endgame, or if you say Endgame, Infinity War, you see like the, the the great comedic gold and the great moments you have with a younger character with these older characters. So it's a great it's a great thing to have in your film, and I think in the uh, Marvel phases going forward. Yeah, I think so too. And I think when Spider Man came along, like it just ended up being really fortunate timing in the story for Spider Man, with the other heroes already being established. It was kind of the perfect time for a younger hero to come up because it would be what would be this kid's point of view on the world of superheroes in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So you got some of that. Um, But also, we had gotten so used to seeing heroes who were in their 30s and 40s in the Marvel Cinematic Universe uh, because I don't, was there anybody, I'm I'm drawing a blank here, is there anybody who was even in their 20s when we focused on most of their story in the MCU? Well, Steve was supposed to to be in his 20s. Oh, yeah, I guess so. But, I mean, but he wasn't, right? So, like... I mean, well, he was in his late twenties because we, because yeah. Chris Evans is the same age as me, and he was yeah. like, well, "I was in my late twenties when it happened." Yeah, but I mean, in terms of his body, that's how old he is. But I mean, he was already an old soul to begin with, and when he comes out of the ice, he doesn't yeah. seem like a guy in his twenties. Um, no, you're absolutely right. Did, you're absolutely and, right. and of course, he didn't act like a guy in his in his twenties when even when he was skinny, Steve. Uh, you know, he didn't want to go out and party like Bucky did. You know, he didn't want to go out dancing with like Bucky did. He just wanted to go sign up for, uh, you know, go sign up at a. Uh, he wanted to go sign up to fight in World War II. That was it for Captain America or for Steve Rogers. So he was always just there feeling that responsibility to do his part. And he wasn't – so he definitely didn't feel like a young hero in that respect. And the other heroes, you know, Peter Quill's in his 30s. When we catch up with him on Morag in Guardians of the Galaxy, you know, Tony's been, I think, in his 40s this entire time or at least maybe late 30s in the first Iron Man, although I'd still say he's probably 40s. I mean, I can go back and look at how old Robert Downey Jr. was, but in terms of the character. So we've just had very much adult superheroes. We didn't really even, not only did we not have a kid superhero, we didn't even have a very young superhero. And we finally got that with Spider-Man. And and as you said, it it creates an opportunity to have a youth movement movement throughout the MCU. And there are totally... Uh, there are several characters available for that. Shuri's already in place in the MCU. Uh, you talked about Kamala Khan, Miss Marvel, who can be introduced either on her own or through the Captain Marvel franchise. You have Nova, and I know a lot of people love Richard Rider, but I think Sam Alexander is going to be the Nova of the MCU. Uh, doesn't mean Boo. Richard. No, Sam Alexander is awesome, and Richard Rider might still be Nova. He hey. might the the first Nova movie could be. The Spider-Verse version of Nova, where Richard Rider is the mentor and Sam Alexander is the brand new kid Nova. That could totally happen. Uh, but there's... I could be in that. And then you have other heroes. I mean, we don't know how old Shang-Chi is going to be in the MCU. Uh, we don't know how old... There's other, But there's other young heroes as well from Marvel Comics. Amadeus Cho. Uh, there are plenty of options for young heroes to come into the MCU. And Spider-Man, he could be out in front of that youth movement... If Marvel and Sony get to continue sharing the character, if they decide to continue sharing the character, I won't go through all the ifs and and everything with all the different hypotheticals. All we know right now is that Sony and Marvel have an agreement that, as far as what they've publicly said, expires with Spider-Man Far From Home. But of course, even if they made an agreement to continue sharing Spider-Man beyond that movie... They wouldn't announce it because Marvel Studios is not announcing any of their movies beyond Spider-Man Far From Home. They're not doing that yet. So if we don't get a Spider-Man, uh, a Spider-Man deal extension, if that announcement doesn't come after Spider-Man Far From Home, or you know, either after Avengers Endgame or at the very latest after Spider-Man Far From Home, if Spider-Man's not part of the next 
slate announcement that Marvel Studios does this, and I would imagine that's this summer, either at Comic Con and or D twenty three. Then I would start to worry about what the status is of Spider Man. But for now, uh, the potential is certainly there. The groundwork has been laid uh, for Spider Man to be a big part of the MCU going forward. Uh, but with Spider Man and Doctor Strange, it's really hard for us to say, as it's been difficult in in other examples like this as far as what the end game is for them in Avengers Endgame, because we don't know what happens with these characters who were dusted. We don't know when they come back, and if they come back, do they still come back while there's, uh, while there's still a battle left to be fought? It's really just hard to guess what impact they would have on the story. For all we know, the original six Avengers, plus a few others, will beat Thanos, undo what he did, and everybody comes back from the snap, but the fighting's over. So I don't really know what Spider-Man and Doctor Strange will get to do in uh, in Avengers Endgame. It's tough to say that, but we know in the case of Spider-Man, he at least has an immediate future in the MCU after Avengers Endgame. We're going to get Spider-Man Far From Home. Uh, we talked about the trailer that we had for that film. We talked about that a couple months ago when it came out. So you can go back and you can listen to that episode for more of our thoughts specifically on what's going on in Spider-Man Far From Home. But uh, I just I hope this character has a longer-term future in the MCU because as we've also talked about, you know, with Spy- it's not just Spider-Man. His world of characters, there's a lot of opportunities for characters like Norman Osborn to not just be part of the Spider-Man franchise, but have a bigger presence throughout the MCU. But all of that hinges on uh, just what kind of sharing agreement continues or doesn't continue for, uh, for Spider-Man between Sony and Disney slash Marvel Studios. Let's switch gears now to Doctor Strange. And there's an interesting thing here with Doctor Strange. In terms of his arc, you can just look at his origin story. He goes from the arrogant, self-serving guy who tries to act like he's about helping people, but really he's about helping himself, and it's really all about the glory. But then he learns it's not about him, as the Ancient One tells him. It's not about you. And he learns to be selfless and be willing to sacrifice himself. And, And regardless of whether or not anybody ever knows that he's done it, hence the whole thing of being willing to die over and over and over again for all eternity against Dormammu, and that's how he ultimately wins in that film. What's really interesting to me about Doctor Strange, I mean, the arc is easy enough to explain in the first film. His arc isn't really... Doctor Strange in Infinity War, I know he has his cameo in Thor Ragnarok, but Doctor Strange in Infinity War is almost more of a fully formed person in terms of where he's at in his emotional arc. Uh, There's not really a big change for Doctor Strange that he needs to go through there. We've just seen that he's continued to work on his mastery of the mystic arts, and he's doing even more stuff now than we saw him do in his uh, in his first film, or even in Thor Ragnarok. So we see him continuing to get better and better and better and more powerful. But I think what's the arc here between Doctor Strange and Avengers Infinity War isn't so much in the story. I think it's in how the audience has connected with this character and how much this character is, is really resonating with general moviegoers. Because... Doctor Strange, it it did well. It made over $600 million worldwide. It's a perfectly fine debut movie in terms of its performance. Had a better first movie box office performance than Ant-Man, for example. Uh, And Ant-Man did pretty well at $519 million, by the way. But I think when you look at Avengers Infinity War and how much people like Doctor Strange, because that's the thing. It's not just about the box office results. I just felt like more people were talking about Doctor Strange coming out of Infinity War than had been talking about Doctor Strange coming out of his own movie. And I think that is going to bode very well for him, depending on what also happens in Avengers Endgame, but whatever role he plays, I'm sure Benedict Cumberbatch will do great at it. But I could really see Doctor Strange becoming a much bigger deal 
in the next phase of the MCU than maybe his initial solo film might have led us to believe based on its performance, uh, because I feel like the audience for this character has really grown as a result of a very popular turn in Avengers Infinity War. Yeah, I've been on record saying that I'm not a big fan of Doctor Strange. That was the kind of the start of the 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 kind of a, not I would say not losing streak but the slump because I still liked Doctor Strange. I, I don't love Doctor Strange. I did I don't I like I don't there's not really an MCU film that I don't like. There's movies that I like more than others and there's ones that I just kind of I'm like in about. I don't don't dislike them but I don't love them. I, I think they're okay. And Doctor Strange kind of falls in that category. And I think it, I want to say it was the first to kind of get that ball rolling, if I'm not mistaken, but I could, I'm maybe forgetting one. But anyway, uh, I'm not a big fan of that movie and I don't think it's terrible and it's got some good moments, but I'm just not for some reason. It's do not connect to that film like others. And I like Dr. Strange. I, I like him. I like him in I don't, I don't own a lot of his own comic books, his, his own solo series have always been hit or miss like Ant-Man He's one of those characters that has always struggled to do his own solo film or solo film to the solo series on a comic book. And it always baffled me like, man, like when Marvel went out and did Ant-Man, the movie, it's like I I was super skeptical about that. And it, and it actually did pretty well and sh- showed that he can be a legitimate franchise. And that these comic series are just kind of a, a, anomalies, if you will, it's for whatever reason that, you know, guess for their success rate. But uh, any, anyway, uh so with Doctor Strange, I he definitely had his own series for a long time, has supported himself throughout the years. He definitely would have moments where they'd cancel it, but he would still he's still a pretty prominent member of the Marvel Universe, even before the film and before the MCU. And I like the character. But one thing that the end or keeps seen endgame, one thing that Infinity War did so well, and I think captured better than I think that I could have imagined. And what I love Doctor Strange the most about that character is how good he is playing with other people, like playing off of different people, his personality, his power set, et cetera, et cetera. All that was brilliantly um, done by the Russo brothers and Marcus McFeely, but really taking that character and giving us what Doctor Strange is. Like I, I totally connected to the character way more in Avengers Infinity War, way more than Doctor Strange the film. And I think you bring up a great point, Sean, that it's probably because he's a fully you know, formed character mm-hmm. by the time he goes to Infinity War. We don't have to see Doctor Strange struggle. And, and again, I love the idea. I love... I love the origin of Doctor Strange. I really do. I love I love that idea. I don't know if it was executed the best way necessarily in the film. It was again, it wasn't horrible. It just wasn't executed the best, I don't think. But I love the origin, but it, it was but I also I just think love it wasn't inventive. I just think yeah, I just think it wasn't inventive enough. It's yeah. not it's not that Doctor yeah. Strange it's not that the movie is badly made. It's very well made. But yes. But like how many times had we already seen, not just in the MCU, but across superhero movies that you know, beat by beat, that three-act superhero origin story. You know, we had just seen it too many times, I think. And so, you know, it's kind of like why I think uh, Marvel Studios made the decision on Captain Marvel to go non-linear with the origin story. Yeah. And I think, and I think that would have benefited Doctor Strange too. That's a, I mean, yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, we are talking about a movie where the MacGuffin was a time stone, and we went in order. So, like, it's it was a, a little bit of an odd decision, although I guess it's not really odd. I understand why Marvel went that way. It's because they were introducing audiences to a concept in the MCU 
you know, magic, the mystic arts, all that stuff, sorcery. They were introducing concepts that they had never introduced to their audience before. So I think they went with a a familiar they they took the audience along that ride at a familiar pace. So that way the audience could just focus on all the new information they were getting and not necessarily being lost in the structure of the film as well. So I think it was, you know, a, a calculated decision that they made, but I don't know if it uh I don't think it I don't know if it really allowed Doctor Strange to really flourish in quite the way that Doctor Strange could have. And I say that as somebody who loves that movie. I think it's a very well made movie, but I do think there might have been some opportunities to be a little more creative in terms of the structure of the film and that might have helped people enjoy it more, maybe even you. Yeah, yeah. And so with all that, I, I think what Infinity War showed is how great the character can be and what his potential is. It's there. I thought they did a brilliant job of handling his powers and his power level. Uh, everything, it just, it just flowed perfectly. And I thought the dialogue that Cumberbatch was given and his performance was just so much, it was on the money. And I really, again, it really made me feel